Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right, welcome to Plan for Life Now, the podcast. This is our Super Bowl edition. Right. And we I think we skipped last week. We're we trying to do this weekly. Week. And all the letters, the emails, the clamoring, nobody noticed. <laughs> no, we're, we're not always trying to do it weekly. We're trying to right. do it regularly when there is content to be discussed. Exactly. We're, we're not, not going to force gonna... it. It's not right. like the radio show where we had to do it every week <laughs> yeah. and we had to force it. All right. And some people would say, wow, you guys really had nothing that week. With the podcast, we like to do it. We actually have something. Right. And I'm comfortable saying Super Bowl in conjunction with this because I'm pretty sure that Fox is not going to come after us for using the term Super Bowl. Right. And yeah, I'm we gonna, don't have to I'm say- going to call it the big game. Okay. You call it the no, big I'm, game. I'm not concerned. I didn't even know about that until you brought it up. I forgot about copyright you law. You know, how people call it. I well, know. Hey, so get your stupid. big game food. It's just so stupid. All right. Well, we we don't usually predict anything other than the Redskin games, but this is a big game, and it's always entertaining because people will be getting this after the fact. So I think we should make Super Bowl predictions. First of all, even before I make my prediction, I'd like to predict what your prediction will be. Right? Interesting. This is, this is taking things to a new level. <laughs> all right. Let's hear what you think my prediction will be. <laughs> First of all, well, it's not too complicated. I think you're going to predict against the Patriots because I don't think you like the Patriots because pretty much nobody outside the Boston area really likes them. And except for you. you. Except for me, which is what I was getting to. So I thought you were going to pick the Falcons uh, 27-21 over the Patriots. Wow. Well, actually, my actual prediction is I think the odds makers in Vegas are very, very accurate in this game. Okay. I find it to be – I think it's going to be – I hope it and think it's going to be a close game. And I don't like the Patriots. Yeah. So I will be rooting very much against this pick. But something tells me, my gut instinct is it's very hard to bet against Hmm. Bill Belichick and Brady. So I feel like the point spread is really right on. So I'm going to go with 31-28 Patriots. Okay. And they are favored by three. And I am rooting very much against this pick. I'm really going to be, even though it's not the Redskins, so it's not that kind of rooting experience. I thought. And, And even though I'll be... Which I really like. I go to a Super Bowl party where I don't have to drive. I'm walking to it. It's nice. friends of ours who are down the street. So, you know, by the fourth quarter, I'm already happy. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, but basically, I'm going to, I think, uh, I really hope Atlanta wins. 
Right. You're right about I, that. So I, you're, pretty you're, you're pretty close. You're pretty close. I thought your rooting interest would influence your, no. you know. No. All right. And just to give people a very brief, because you don't really care, why do I root for the Patriots? Yeah, why do you? It's like a character flaw. It, it is. It's like, you know, <laughs> they're the evil empire, and I still root for them. I was crushed in, uh, what was the year, 2007, when they had the the perfect season that they were going for. Right. I wanted to say I had witnessed perfection i'd witnessed 19 and 0 and it was compounded by and so obviously that didn't happen and it was compounded by the fact that the giants had to be the ones that beat them and i felt like the giants were one of the least deserving teams i had ever seen win the super bowl right so that gnawed at me and of course that had happened all over again so then i dug in even more and the more people hated the Patriots, and that's the more weird because I, I hate them more because of that. Because those are the only two times I ever rooted for the Patriots was against the Giants. Because I definitely hate them more, and I know too many people from New York and family members. Right. So it was magnified. And then those two times I root for them, they let me down. I hate them even more. <laughs> so we'll All see. Right. Well, we'll see. But my prediction is the Patriots are going to win. Uh, it's going to be lower scoring than most people think. So if you're a gambling person, I would take the under. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 21-19. Strange score. All right. um, but it's going to be Patriots. All right. We so will see. Go down in history. All right. Everybody who's hearing this has already happened. So Yeah. So it's, it's history or not. Um, now, we came to the table here today and in our pre-production meeting discussing the multitude of topics that we put up on the whiteboard here, and uh, we actually had a couple of different things, but one thing that I wanted to talk about, and I might have talked about this in some sense maybe a year or so ago on the radio, um, my wife recently had me watch this documentary, and as I mentioned this to Dave... You said you've seen this documentary I have. as well. I actually went downtown somewhere and saw it. Oh, you saw it downtown? I saw it in the actual theater. Oh, okay. No, I just. Because I'm an empty nester. I have time to watch this documentary downtown. I just watched it on Netflix or something. I don't know where. But it, it's a documentary called The Minimalists, or The Minimalist. I don't know. And it's about these guys who were in corporate jobs. They were. You know, doing the normal corporate thing, climbing the ladder, making money, living a suburban lifestyle, and then decided that wasn't what they wanted. And they quit their jobs, they downsized significantly, and they became minimalists. And why I thought this would be interesting to bring up and to tie into financial planning was about a year ago, my wife went through something like this. Right now, we're not, you know, moving into a tiny house or we're not like getting rid of all our stuff, but she went through the Marie Kondo method. Now, if we've got male listeners out there, they're sitting there saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. (laughs) Unless you've got a wife or I'm, I'm just generalizing, it tends to be women who do this. The Marie Kondo method kind of took everything by storm a year or so ago. It's this Japanese woman who had, she calls it the magical art of tidying. And it's this process of going through your home and looking at all the stuff that you have. And for example, you start with your clothes. And here's what you do when you start with your clothes. You put all the clothes you have, everything, you put it on the floor in front of you. Right? So just imagine all the sweaters, all the shirts, all the underwear, socks, whatever. 
and you go through each object one by one and you determine what is the purpose of this object, right? Is this really still helping me achieve what I want to achieve? And she, of course, takes it even to another level. Does this spark joy in me? Right. Right? I've heard that. Now, this, if anybody out there has been through this, they're just jumping up and down right now going, oh my God, I've gone through this, you know. It's it's a long process. I mean, my wife was probably doing it for four months because think about all the stuff you have in your house. It's, I, it's well, a lot. I have done this, but we've done something similar. And the amount of stuff you have just in your closet, clothes-wise, it's, it's unbelievable. Absolutely incredible. And unnecessary. A lot of it. You know, well, (laughs) this is the point that I'm getting to is that a lot of it's unnecessary. You go through it and you look at different objects. And this was the response I would often have. Oh, well, I don't really like that sweater. I never wear sweaters. You know, they're itchy. makes me hot. I'm always hot. I don't like the sweater, but my mom gave it to me. I feel really bad getting rid of it. I don't think that. I've seen you in a sweater since I've known you, which is about uh, 15 years or something I, like that. I think in 15 years, I've probably worn a sweater once or twice. I do not wear them. So I, you know, and it allowed me to say, okay, you know what? I don't actually need that. I don't need that. I'm going to get rid of it. This is the basic theme, the idea behind the minimalists, behind the Marie Kondo method. And what this has to do and why I was tying this into your overall financial plan is we often find that people have a mix of different investments and they don't know what the purpose is or the point of the different investments are. And you say, well, what is the point of any investment? The point when we really break things down should either be to generate income to give you long-term growth or to provide you of safety of principle. What's the point of this investment? Why do you have it? And more often than not, it's, uh, well, I was at this job and, you know, I don't know, I just started saving into this account. There's no point. Right. You know, or in the really bad cases, it'll be, well, I don't know, my, you know, my buddy from law school sold this to me and I just, I can't get rid of it. He's still a friend or, you know. So, so there it is in the closet we'll call your financial plan. Sure. So and maybe I mean, a good analogy would be you might have like uh, 17 of the exact same dress shirts in your <laughs> financial plan and you work out of your house, you don't even wear dress shirts. Right. <laughs> You don't you need don't all think about all things. the invent the funds you have right. you, and some of you have multiple 401k's and IRAs and whatever out there mm-hmm. and those all those have a bunch of funds and stuff and who knows what's repeating what you need what do you even know what you have right so and I mean this all ties together because quite honestly you know people on Wall Street and finance experts they love to make everything sound very complicated hey we're really smart people you know if only you were as smart as us then you could do this unfortunately you're not so you're just going to have to trust all this jargon that we throw out there at you right the the honest truth is it does not have to be super complicated Right? I'm not saying, you know, my second grader could do it, but it doesn't have to be a million different investments that you don't understand and all this crazy stuff. If you can boil things down to 
This is here to help me generate income. This is here to help me grow my money. And this is here to preserve capital. If you can use those three categories, I think you're you're doing pretty well. Right. And even if you break it down to many people, most listening to this podcast who work with a financial advisor, um, you still need to understand the concepts and the common sense. It's not going to be that hard, even if you don't understand exactly how a bond fund works. Right. Or exactly what a bond is. Right. But if you understand what it's supposed to do for you and how it works in general, and then you can use common sense for every other investment you have. What It's common sense a lot of people have. But the, somehow, you're absolutely right. When it comes to their money, when we start with a lot of people, it's just, this is the phrase of the business, junk drawer. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And now, oh boy, Steve, you came up with a good, t- you did your homework for this podcast. <laughs> well, I, it was just your kind of- Your tie-in analogy was spot on. That was good. Here, here, I'll just give you a glimpse when I was thinking about all of this, the other thought process that was going through my head. So just to, to we, we love analogies here, and I, I just think they make some of these concepts easier to grasp onto. Another analogy that I was thinking of was the, the, the analogy of a blueprint for your financial plan. So I, I've told you, Dave, about how we're going through this uh, remodel of our kitchen and we're we're kind of redesigning and you know moving things around, knocking down walls. And uh, part of this process, there's a 3D designer that we're working with, and she's generating these 3D images. Right. Um, but she had to come out and take all these measurements and get the exact, you know, because you can't put a dishwasher in that's 48 inches wide if you've only got 45 inches of space. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's got to actually fit in there. And she did all this and put it all together. And I said, gosh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, where would the contractor be if they don't have these plans to go off of? Right. How could they actually do the work if they don't have a design, a blueprint? It would have to be done and redone. And it wouldn't be right. You'd have to do trial and error, right? Correct. I mean, you'd have to say, well, I don't know. It looks like it's about big enough to fit the dishwasher. Let's cram it in there. Oh, it didn't fit. All right, let's move this over. That's a lot of work, a lot of wasted effort. And I was thinking about this with a financial plan. If you don't have a clear goal for these assets are generating income, these are going to be my long-term growth, it's not very efficient. You're not going to, in the case of growth assets, you're not going to keep them in growth assets. You're going to wind up redoing things. And frankly, you're not going to have the confidence that you can stick with it, that you can stay with this plan. Whereas if you've got a plan where you can look at it and say, big picture, I know it's going to work. I know that if I put this dishwasher here, it's all going to fit together you're much more likely to keep going with the project. Right. So when you're younger, it's not as important because the project's not for (laughs) 30 years when you're 35 years old, so you're not going to worry so much about it. Right. When you get closer, 50s and 60s, you better have your plan put together and and done the right way. So along those lines, the next topic we were going to talk about today was what came out in today's news, and I know people are listening to this 
after the fact. But I don't know if a lot of you know this or not. Donald Trump's the president now. Yes. And he is basically not a big regulation guy. So Obama, and really coming off 2008, you had tons of regulations in, in every field of finance when you look at individual workers like us, banks, mm-hmm. 401ks, whatever, the whole nine yards of the Dodd-Frank regulation. And Trump has come in, and although he's kind of nebulous, he didn't really talk a lot about this part in his campaign. Today was a big day in the news because it looks like he's going to be directing the Department of Labor to say, you know, that whole fiduciary thing. <laughs> I'll let Steve explain what that is. That whole fiduciary thing, yeah. Not so much. <laughs> All right, let's let's just re- retouch on what the fiduciary rule is again. I know we've talked about it many times in the past. Uh, I'm sure there's an old podcast that we've done about it. The fiduciary rule quite simply says that an advisor has to act in your best interest. Right? This is supposed to put advisors on par with attorneys and doctors, where a doctor is held to a standard of care where they have to put the patient first. Right? You can't have a doctor saying, hey, Dave, why don't you go get your uh, appendix out? You know, you really should go over and get your appendix out. Why is he recommending that? Because the surgeon's giving him a kickback right. to, to get your appendix out. Right? You'd be pretty upset. You go, God, I just got my appendix out. It was painful. It was annoying. Could have been dangerous. Just so the doctor could get a kickback. Well, in the financial world, unfortunately, advisors are not held to that standard if they are simply salespeople, right? Now, this is where it gets a little confusing because a lot of advisors like us work in two capacities. As a registered representative or salesperson and also as an investment advisor. And as an investment advisor, you are held to that fiduciary standard. But the bottom line is they were trying to make that fiduciary standard across the industry and it was set to go into effect April 10th. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of financial companies, insurance companies, mutual fund companies have been scrambling to deal with that and now they are delaying that to review it. Right, so the pros, the (coughs) pros of having the fiduciary standard for everybody are pretty obvious. If you're listening to this, you're going to say, you know, I want my financial advisor to do what's in my best interest. Right. Because the other option is what's suitable. And lots of things can be suitable. Like when you talk about removing your appendix. Well, since most guys your age eventually are going to have a problem with their appendix based on whatever meds you take, we just removed it. It's suitable. Versus in my best interest, it's really not good to cut me open for no real reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, doing what's in your best interest is seems to the regular person out there, consumer, to make the most sense. Steve and I are big proponents, uh, and we are held to the fiduciary on the investment side, but we're also proponents of anything that when you're working with, you're similar to your health analogy. I think money is second most important to people's health. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. You know, there's other stuff, but there's health, yeah, family, family, God, money, sure. however you're going to rank those things. Um, but the it's bottom line is, so that's that's the yeah, way to I mean, the- But the opposite argument of that is that all the regulation that most financial advisors are doing what's right for people. 
I agree with that, honestly. But there are a lot who. But you gotta have it to protect those ten or to right. But ultimately, the regulation on a lot of things it did cause. This was going to cause a lot more paperwork, regulation stuff mm-hmm. like that. You and I both agree it's worth that to keep that fiduciary standard held as law. Yeah. But I'll tell you why I think it's important more. Because without the way things without the fiduciary thing, what the predatory salesmen mm-hmm. basically come up and do what we think is the opposite of what's right and say that X product, X stock, X mutual fund, X annuity, X life insurance policy is the answer. Yep. So I'm just going to tell you about the holy grail answer. You'll just buy the quote answer yeah. and you'll be okay. And there is no such thing as a product being one product being the answer to all of your financial planning woes. No, it's really scary when you see a, I'm using air quotes here, quote unquote advisor, the solution for a client is the same if that client is 50 year old, self-employed, no pension, no anything, or 65 year old person with a full pension and very conservative it, the the product is the same regardless of the client. Right. That's but not right. Product is the problem. Right. Ultimately, versus how would how do we do business? And I think the best advisors in this country do business the same way. When they meet a client, the first thing they're doing for one whole meeting, the first meeting is all about the client. Right. It's not even about what we're going to do for the client. It's what's the client situation. There's so much information to gather uh, on both physical and emotional. Uh, about a client before you even move to the next step, which is putting together a plan based on that situation. And then the further steps of honing into a plan with the client before they actually, with the maybe client, mm-hmm. before they actually agree to become a client. And this long way of doing things is the right way to do things because ultimately that's the only way, in our opinion, to do things in your best interest versus the uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. This one product is the greatest thing on earth. And then once you've bought it and you're locked into it, it's too late to get out because, you know, the thorough background wasn't done. Yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping. You so know, that's, why saying, I, that's why I want the fiduciary. Well, that's why saying, I'm in favor of it anyway. They're saying this will be a review of it to figure out, you know, maybe where they could streamline it. I mean, the rule was not perfect or is not perfect, but... It's a lot better than the the way things were. So I'm hoping that they can come up with something to keep that into effect. Because, you know, frankly, I think our industry needs that because those, even if it's 90% or 95% are doing the right thing, it's those 5 or 10% that really make things hard for everybody else. Because they're, they're just selling a product. And that's, yeah, that's a problem. All right, let's wrap it up here today. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week.